0: Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Game over. Good to see
1: you. Good to see you, Andrew. Good to see you, Rachel. Uh, Yeah, happy to be
2: here. I miss both of you.
1: Yeah, unmuted like on the... I had myself muted on stream again. This is like something I've done oh, twice no. now.
0: No, no. I was about to say, like like this is like Rachel and I like we've like spoken like online. This is like the first time we see each other like on, on Zoom. So this is this is cool. I'm very excited about that. We've we've been we've been meaning to have some kind of like podcast set up with us too. So I'm really excited about this.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm super jacked. And I mean the fact that we get to like do something together when I think all three of us like each other's work. I feel like the vibes are really good, even though the Habs vibes were uh, not very good today.
1: (laughs) Yes, it's not a very good vibe for the Habs, but unfortunately for them, we will find a way to have fun anyway, because they seem determined to ruin the fun here. Like I said, the last time they had a blowout loss, I'm starting to feel like this is a little bit personal. I feel like this is them purposely trying to ruin this show because this is this is getting to be ridiculous. Uh, Five games now out of nine that they've been blown out uh, five plus goals against. It's not great. Uh, man, it, it's just, it's starting to get to the point where you're running out of things to say for what they need to fix. Cause you, you know, like everyone knows at this point, what's gone wrong. We can break that down again, <laughs> but uh, this is a frustrating team. It's, it's not good looking. It's, you know, we had people on the, the last podcast that we did, which was like a 10 30 PM start. It was, we went live at like 10 after 1, quarter after 1 in the morning. And there was like, you're being too negative. I was like, you, you know that this is a 2-6 team, right? <laughs> like, now they're 2-7. They exactly haven't and even managed to get any of their thing. losses into overtime. Yeah. Like, you have to be able to speak honestly about what's going on. Right? And I understand that there are some people who expected this show to be Steve Dangle, but for the Habs. And I'm not like that crazy where the fandom on your sleeve kind of person. I'm not a huge fan in particular anymore, but like, I'm not going to sit here and lie to people either. You know, I'm going to tell these people who are watching what's going on with this team. Like tell the truth. Exactly. You know, like I'm, I'm not going to sit here and give you bullshit. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what's going on. And right now the Canadians are a bad team. They're a bad team and they're earning this.
2: Well, yeah, even if you I'd look at ahead. it, like the the one of the big things apart from like that PK, I haven't watched the Habs like a ton, but I know like I've seen enough of them to know that PK gave up. It was th- like three for five. Like that's not mm-hmm. acceptable. And then the other glaring stat was the Kings' top two lines today. So the Kopitar line and the Deneau line both had an expected goals for percentage of over seventy five percent.
1: That yeah, is wild. Well, it's not good for the Canadians. It's good for the LA Kings. Oh, I got a little boy who wants to say goodnight. Oh, is he oh, we, are we finally getting it? Oh, not Dylan. We got Miles here. Miles. Hey. hey! Miles. What's up, little what Yes. Yeah, you see yourself. That's Miles. Mommy. Oh my God. Yeah, are gonna we'll be
2: the most positive part of the podcast,
1: everyone. I bye think bye? so, man. See you <laughs> Night Night Daddy?
0: Yeah, this right. this is positive Williams. content here. Don't oh, don't expect positive man. content about the Red Canadians. Positive content you. in one of Andrew Berkshire's children yeah. hanging out with us. <laughs> Say bye bye. That's cool.
2: Yes, exactly. Okay. Hi Miles.
1: <laughs> Say Hi bye-bye. Miles. Hi okay. Miles. I don't know if you guys can hear him, but he's yes. He's talking oh, to oh, you. Oh yeah, we can hear. Also, him.
2: can we instead Pop of talking about the hats, there. can we discuss how cool those tractor pajamas are?
1: So that was yeah. more positive than anything the Canadians did this night. <laughs>
0: yeah man this this team i'm I'm ready to call it too man they're a bad team i i I was on the the camp that said that the pieces that they have should have them be a slightly better team than what their record was supposed to show and not in the sense that like oh they played better in those games in, in buffalo and san jose that they should be given credit for like they should not be getting blown out by those teams but no off of what we've seen so far nine games in maybe this is just who the canadians are they're a team that is not able to, to fend off opposing rushes. They're a team defensively that is not able to get in position. Uh, we were talking amongst ourselves throughout the game, and you both made astute observations that their neutral zone play is not good. It's a combination of, of bad coaching, and the personnel is not there. And I understand that this team is missing a whole bunch of guys who have either left for other teams, like Phil Deneau, got himself an assist for, for the Los Angeles Kings tonight, and obviously, we know what Kerry Price is up to, and we know what Shea Weber is up to. But you guys can tell me if I'm wrong. I'm not sure how much of a difference Shea Weber would make, and Kerry Price being left out to dry. He can only do so much. It's not as if we haven't seen Kerry Price be in a situation where he's played in front of bad teams and he can't erase yep. every single mistake. Like, this is just a bad team. And I didn't think they'd be this bad. And now I I, I I think I'm ready to just call it just say this is just a bad team. I have not seen anything from this squad to lead me to believe that they could turn this around.
1: No, and like, I think that's kind of what's the most distressing about this game is like I think as much as the LA Kings kind of led the underlying numbers in the first period, I thought the Canes were actually decent in that period. They did some good things, you know, like they showed on the broadcast like Brennan Gallagher breaking up three different plays in the neutral zone head, pushing the puck the other way. Uh, i don't remember if it was tied after the first or if they were i think they were leading after the first it's like they They carried the first yeah they they carried a one nothing lead out of the first they looked like they were playing a decent ish game and like the chances the kings were having didn't actually look that dangerous and then from puck drop in the second period it was just an absolute slaughter so it's like this team can't seem to like marry together shift to shift a bit of energy that keeps a game going their way. They can't manage it period to period and they can't manage it game to game. Not that they played great against San Jose, you know, like Jake Allen was absolutely phenomenal in that game. And I don't want to put much on Jake Allen because I think he's been as good as you can expect a player who is signed for his contract to be, but it's been pretty much every other game. He's either phenomenal or he's just okay. And they let in five. You know, and if your goalie is just okay, and you're letting in five every time, you're just not giving him nearly enough defensive support. Like, I don't think it was his issue today. He had the one goal where he got handcuffed, but, like, that was the, what, 4-1 goal? Like, at yeah, that I point, it's over. Too
2: many, there's too many instances, like, of NHL defense. And, like, we're talking, like, Ben Sherratt going controller unplugged in the defensive zone. And that just, if you look at how that Montreal Canadiens played defensively on their run to the cup final last year. That is arguably what got them there. Apart from Kerry price, they were fantastic defensively. They held Matthews and Marner at bay. They held Wheeler and Connor at bay. They held stone and patch at bay. And if you really look at it, they managed to hold Braden point at bay in the cup final. The ha- like the Tampa didn't win because of Braden point. And then you look at them this year and like Julian mentioned, Their neutral zone is atrocious. Like if you had controlled zone entry numbers, they'd probably be 90% in favor of the Kings today. And so I think when you have someone like Jake Allen, unless you have an elite of the elite goaltender and somebody like Andre Vasilevsky playing behind you, where you can afford to give up that many chances of your D just going control or unplugged, you're going to wear some of that. And if you even look at the heat maps, like the chances they're giving up, I think... What did we say in the group chat today? How many times did they get beat off the rush?
0: Like Like too many times. (laughs) I'll add this too. I'll add this too. Uh, Rachel brings up a really good point. Unless you find yourself in a position where you have an elite of the elite goaltender behind you, you're going to get worn down. I'll add this you know not only are these canadians getting blown i mean the canadians obviously they're getting blown out in these games not the first time we've seen them lose 5-1 or 5-2 well this is the first time i think they've lost 5-2 a lot of these games they've been blown out and they've only been able to score one or two goals yes they have the two wins on the record where they were able to score more than a goal a game but for so many of these games that jake allen has been in he's had very little to no run support and this goes back to my point about Kerry price not being able to erase every single mistake he can only make so many saves but if the offense is not able to get themselves going and I still think that the defense plays a role in this too and the fact that their transition play hasn't been good their own zone entries haven't really been helpful as well and even the guys on offense like, like Cole Caulfield no goals to this point like it's it's starting to become a bit of a concern I know Nick Suzuki picked up some assists but that's a guy also you're looking for him to score goals as well Tyler Toffoli Foley led the team with 28 goals last year nothing You know what I'm saying? Like this offense has also been very dormant and it doesn't even matter if you have Carey Price or Andre Vasilevsky in front of you. If you don't have the run support, you are going to get left out to dry. And it's not benefiting the Canadians. They have a defense that's not good and their offense is not scoring right now. It's, it's not a great situation. No, it's not.
2: Have the yips. Like he looks to me like a player that is not like, not even just lacking in confidence, but it reminds me only because it's, like, top of mind. Like, if I think about mm-hmm. back to the playoffs last year, where, again, like, the Habs are just utterly fantastic defensively. Like, Mitch Marner, they basically gave him the yips. like, And he still has them, right? I think Cole Caulfield, it's, it looks like he's double-clutching on his shots. They don't have the same amount of zip. And because he's such a young player, and, I mean, like, I study development, I think they should mm-hmm. really seriously consider – letting this kid play three or four games in the AHL so that he can get feeling himself again. You obviously can't do that with Nick Suzuki, but you can with Cole Caulfield. And what is the harm in doing that? No, I I don't don't think there's any
0: harm in that. I
1: don't Uh, think there's any harm in that. I'm not super for that, just because I think that there's always a danger with young players where it, it feels like you're putting it on them that it's their fault and that's why they're getting sent down. And like part of it sure is, but I think there's... Actually, been if you've watched like all the games so far, which I unfortunately have had to, uh, (laughs) Caulfield has actually progressed pretty significantly with his plays over the last like five or so games. Like, he's still not what we expect him to be, but like, he's at least trying things. Like, the first few games of the year, it was brutal out there for for Cole Caulfield, so it's getting better. I think I'd kind of rather them just be patient because there's it's obviously not going to happen this year, right? Like, the playoffs are not a situation that the Canes are going to find themselves in unless something crazy goes. Like, if Kerry Price comes back after his uh, time in the player assistance program and he has a heart Trophy-worthy season, then they could pro- possibly sneak That's into the playoffs. That's what it's going to take. But yeah, yeah it's, it's something that has to happen like that, right? An absolute miracle, you know? And we're not in a Disney movie. It's not going to happen. They, they had their miracle last year in the playoffs, right? And it wasn't quite enough because the Tampa Bay Lightning are absolute murderers. But uh, I don't think it's possible to hope for a miracle two seasons in a row. I think this is one of those seasons where you just, you evaluate what's gone wrong. You try to build for the next year and maybe you get Shane right out of it. Uh, shout out in the comments in the YouTube chat. There's a sportsnet in there asking if that game was a dang it. Of course it was almost every game so far this year has been a dang it. And uh, AO says miles is a hat pick. And that's true. Miles. Can is I, a hat Can pick. I add that something about cold like coffee? Like...
0: Oh yeah. Of course. He's very sleepy. I just want to say this about Cole Caulfield. I don't know if I'm necessarily opposed to the idea of him getting the opportunity to kind of regain his confidence back in the AHL. I mean, I don't necessarily think that him being sent back is a death sentence. No. I, I, I think just because this is a guy who scored at virtually every level that he's been at in his career, right? Like, I I just think any opportunity for him to just kind of get that scoring touch back might just help. I think that's just the idea. Just let him go dominate in the AHL and then come back with that renewed focus. Like he, I can't think of any other time, unless you guys know for yourselves where he's gotten this many games at any level without scoring a goal. And yeah, I think Rachel's right. Like this is a guy who I think he's, I think he's realizing that, you know, once those first few games went by, he didn't get himself a goal. Like it's kind of just started to get into his head. One thing I'll, I'll give him up until about like tonight, like I, I think there were some games in, in the stretch of the season where maybe he's not necessarily getting the goals in. Maybe there's some other moments where he's kind of brutal, but he's got like a few skill plays in him. Like against Detroit, there was one game where he's taking a puck uh, in between his skates in the neutral zone. And he's basically putting on a show as he enters the zone And just completely embarrassing to Detroit Red Wing. In the game before, he has like a pass from his stomach that he completes. It turns into a shot chance. Like he's able to make those plays, and his playmaking ability cannot be understated. But if you're not able to get some of those goals in, I mean, I'm I'm sure, especially for a young player of his ilk, like it's going to affect his confidence. So I don't know if I oppose the idea of him just going back to the HL for like a small handful of games just to get his confidence back. I don't know if the Kings would do that either, though.
2: But I think. think What you're oh, trying ahead, to avoid like a Cockney Emmy situation where like, I don't think they've rushed Caulfield, but they definitely, no. there's no argument that they rushed Cockney Emmy. That was super obvious. And the yo-yo thing is a terrible idea. Like I think you send him down until, if he has to play 10 games, then he's got to play 10 games. The one thing I will say about Cole Caulfield is every single minute I've seen of him, he's never cheating you for effort. And mm-hmm. I think that like, no matter what, even if, he's not getting the same amount of chances and the the pucks aren't going in. I'm not seeing him lazy on the back check. I'm not seeing him not engaged in the play. Whereas you look and I mean, I think Sammy Niku has been a bright spot, but Mm -hmm. that defense kind of looks lost at this point in time. And even up front, I mean, there are many times where I look at players on the ice and I go, where's the effort level? Because I saw what it looked like last year in the playoffs, and this is not that. And so I think with Caulfield and even Suzuki, like some of the younger guys, you're not seeing that out of them. They don't cheat you for effort. And I just don't want to see them punished because the other players around them really kind of some of them look like they're public skating a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's weird because like, I think you can look at this roster objectively And you can say it's not a great team, right? Especially on defense. They've got some talent at forward, right? I feel like you need a center, in my opinion, who pushes Dvorak down to 3C. Not because he's not good enough to be a 2C, but because of the way that this team is structured. They need three centers where Dvorak is probably the third best guy. And that's how they're going to overwhelm teams, right? It's have three lines that can really play at a high pace and score a decent amount of goals. So like they have the wingers to accomplish that they're missing that third center. And I think Perot has been full value for what he is. He's just not that level, right? I think he's a guy you put on your fourth line and he turns that fourth line into a, a line that's very dangerous, right? So there's that that's missing. But even with that, I think you look at them and you think this team should produce more offense. And a lot of those guys, Cole Caulfield, Tyler Toffoli, Brendan Gallagher, Josh Anderson, until this one, right? These are guys that you expect to score more goals at a higher frequency. You, yeah. And you could think, like, okay, well, then they've been unlucky, right? But, like, you look at the expected goals so far this year, and the Canadians have been up. In, this game is not counting yet on natural hat natural. Sorry, natural stat trick. But coming into this game, the Canadians were producing 1.89 goals per 60 expected at 5 on 5 I think it's like 4th or 5th worst in the league. I don't think they have the 4th or 5th worst offense in the league, but they're not producing like they should be better, you know? like They're actually still underproducing less than that, still. They're almost a half goal below that per game. So it's, it's not a good look, and at a certain point you have to wonder if they're doing things incorrectly from the top down. And as this goes on, we're on game number 9 now. And I don't think the expectations were that high this year because losing Weber, losing Deneau, starting the season without price. There's like all these excuses built in. But how many games can this level of play go on where it's not even about the wins and losses. It's the level of play where you're getting absolutely dominated almost every single game. The San Jose Sharks last game. Like, yeah, they lost, but the Canadians got wrecked in that game by the scoring chance count. Like. Jake Allen had what 46 saves, it was the second most saves in the history of the Montreal Canadiens in a shutout. Like, how long can that go on until the guillotine comes out? And who's it going to co- come out for? Does Anti Niemi have the record? No, Jacques Plante. I don't know why. I uh, thought yes. It was Niemi, that yes, because Anti yeah. Niemi came close, but yeah, Jacques Plante, that guy, some guy, you know, Jacques Plante. Nobody's <laughs> ever heard of, of him, it's
2: like, even yeah. you look at it and like. Duran had a great start to the year, like the first couple of games. I mean, I think you can make the argument he's probably Montreal's best player.
1: I think he still has and, been.
2: And yeah, and the, me too. He's, he even though he's not putting pucks in the net right now, I still think he's creating. He's transporting the puck, like he's at least getting some zone entries, right? And so you look at it, and there definitely should be. I have some systems questions for sure about how this team plays because that neutral zone four check is non-existent like we talked about and then why are we talk about some some d have bad gaps and sometimes it's just some d but how is it that all six no matter which six are in the lineup have awful awful gap control and that's a super big area of concern because you're giving up entries and how many goals did they get scored on off the rush today how many bad penalties that they have to take because of their rush play. And I think that's, that's gotta be, if Montreal wants to clean some stuff up, how they play in the neutral zone and how they defend the rush has to be their number one area of concern five on five. But I wonder Mark Bergevin is done after this year, at least this contract. So he's kind of like a lame duck GM. So when you talk Andrew about like setting up for next year, how do you do that when you have a lame duck GM?
1: Yeah, that's that's like been kind of a through line theme of the show, right? Is what should the Montreal Canadiens do and what will they do going into next season? Because it's obvious that things need to change. There needs to be some building done. But do you trust the guy who's probably on the way out the door to start that process? Because logically, it just makes way more sense to start the search for the next guy now And if you don't make a move until, like, February, so be it. But you give them time to find those issues and work with the other teams in the league or the prospects, whatever, to find solutions before you, like, jump into free agency. You know, like, you don't want to hire a guy right before the draft who has no idea what your scouts have been doing. No idea, like, have your pro scouts do the right, like, go the right places to find the right players You know, scan Europe. Like, teams find good players in Europe out of nowhere every single year. You know, they might not necessarily be game breakers, but you look at, like, Ilya Mikheyev in Toronto, who's been a, a guy who they've rolled out essentially every night that he's healthy. He has a solid impact on the game. He has some finishing issues. But other than that, he's pretty decent, good PKer. Like, you can find players to fill spots on your team. I, I guess you could say the Canadians did that with Chris Wyden, but he has he's been replaced by Sammy Niku now. But
2: well, even yeah. like, and I think Sammy Niku is good, but even like Ottawa did it with Artem Zub, and the most extreme yeah. example is obviously Panarin, who is that's just like a league of his own in that right. But like you're right, there's stuff to be had, but I wonder. And I think back, so New Jersey did both of these things. They got rid of Lou and brought in Ray like two weeks before the draft, and ended up taking Zaka because Ray just like trusted. Them to do that, and like that hasn't turned out for the best. But then I guess ownership learned because when they fired Ray, they fired him in January and they let Tom Fitzgerald do the deadline. So I wonder in Montreal, if you know that Bergerman's not coming back, do you let him manage the deadline, or do you want to have someone in place so that it's their plan that goes into the deadline? Like, what would you want to see? Here's what I'll say about
0: this. Yeah, uh, here's what I'll say about this. and I think it matters here. This is not the year for the Montreal Canadiens for them to fire a GM and then hire a guy like two weeks before the draft, which is supposed to be in Montreal this year. Like, yeah. we all know how much of a spectacle this is supposed to be. They're hosting the draft, like, and this is going to be the first one it looks as if we're that's going to have people in it in quite some time. This is not the year for the Montreal Canadiens from an optics standpoint to kind of fumble the bag when it comes to how they handle the draft. I think if it gets to a point where they realize, you know what, they're not going to be able to settle some deal with Mark Bergevin. A lot of people are saying, you know what, it's a matter of money. I'm still just very stupefied at that, considering what had happened over the run, but so be it. If it's not going to be Mark Bergevin, go out and either call Tampa Bay and ask if Mark Metz Darsh is willing to be that guy. See if there's somebody else out there in your, your contacts who is, or someone up on your list who's willing to take on that job because we all know about the credentials that are needed for, to, to be a GM in this city in Montreal. Can I
2: ask about that? Sure. <laughs> so I understand the French thing, because like, with my soccer team overseas, like if you don't speak German, you're literally just not allowed there. Like That's how it works. But in Montreal, would it be beneficial to maybe have, at least from a head coaching perspective, or a GM, one of the two? Like, If you want the best of the best, like Barry Trotz, I think we can all right. agree, is one of the best coaches in the NHL. If he Absolutely. said, I want to coach the Montreal Canadiens, but I don't speak French, would you, like, are you going to hire a much lesser coach because Barry Trotz can't speak French? Or is it worth it to hire, let's say, a fantastic candidate, and then Jeff Molson just pays for this guy to get a French tutor? You know what I mean? Like, does he have to be French Canadian? Or if he's willing to learn to speak French, does that maybe widen your pool of candidates? Because I think Montreal is such a, a fantastic franchise that you want the best candidates, and if you have someone that maybe doesn't speak French right away, but is willing to learn, and they're clearly the best person for the job, would you maybe give them a chance or do they have to speak French right off the bat?
1: I, I don't think I, they I have think, to right off the sorry. bat. Sorry, sorry, Julian. Um, I think that it's one of those things that a lot of people point to as like a crutch for like why the Canadians have not found success. And like, there's a lot of really strong French Canadian coaches out there. Like when the Canadians hired close Julian, I oh. legitimately believe he was the best coach they could possibly have hired at that moment, right? Absolutely. Whether Dominic Ducharme was, I mean, that's up in the air. But I think the Canadians were headed in the right direction with what they were doing with Ducharme and Joël Bouchard, where they were bringing in junior guys, bringing them up through their system so that they can get reps in professional hockey, and then that kind of builds their own stable of French-Canadian coaches that they can hire. I applaud that. I think that's something that Bergevin has done better than his prede- predecessors have, even though it didn't work out with Joël Bouchard and he went to Anaheim.
2: Because that's the guy I think should that should have been the coach.
1: Yes. And there's a lot of that people hurts. who do think that as well. Although I've heard some dissenting opinions about Ducharme. And yeah, I'm so, being yeah, a little Bouchard, bit. i
0: yeah, I I've, I've heard some stuff about that too. I'm not really sure which camp to be in on, on the whole João Bouchard thing. I thought he got a lot out of his players, but He definitely did. Yeah, I I, I think just with the way that it kind of works in in Montreal with with a coach or or a GM, I I guess it's just from having someone from a speaking standpoint just be able to address the majority of French fans here, but from what I've seen and you guys can tell me wrong, but like I think if somebody steps in and they're primarily anglophone but they show the effort Of learning the language of French, I think fans can be welcoming and accommodating and accepting of that fact necessarily. I mean, you might have some purists who may be very upset at the fact that it's not French speaking or French purulent, as we would say in Quebec. But like, if, if say, for example, I'm trying to think of a GM candidate off the top of my head, but if somebody comes in and they start their conference, just answering questions in French, for example, like, some guys will be like, oh, hey, wow, like this person understands the market. They are trying to make an effort here. And that's that's good from an optics standpoint. But yeah, I also think to Rachel's point, like if Barry trots all of a sudden is like, Hey, i am gonna contact one trot Canadians about coaching the franchise. You'd be crazy to say no. You'd be crazy yeah. to not even give an an interview because of the fact that he can't speak French. You're talking about one of the best coaches in the National Hockey League. It's 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 a bit of a weird thing. I understand too why it has to why it is the case. Uh, but I also think there's talent should be able to kind of outweigh some of that. And in some of those cases, oh. I'm sure some of them would be willing to you know learn the language a little bit.
2: And the reason I brought it up was because like in soccer, how it works. So like. Pep Guardiola, he's like widely considered the the best coach in soccer. Him, Jurgen Klopp, like that's kind of how it is. Pep Guardiola is the the man for the job. And Bayern decided that in 2013. That man did Mm -hmm. not speak one single lick of German, but they hired him because he was the best guy for the job. And then within two months, he was completely fluent in German. So it's like one of those things where you can hire a guy that speaks English if he's the best guy for the job, And in two months, if he works at it, we see it all the time in Europe. Jurgen Klopp had to learn English when he went to coach Liverpool. I mean, like, you have, there's so many examples in European soccer of coaches going and learning Italian, like Jose Mourinho now randomly speaks Italian, right? And so I think if you actually have people that are willing to put in the effort and you can get the Pep Guardiola of hockey to work in Montreal you should give them that chance like it shouldn't just it shouldn't have to be a french canadian all the time because i think montreal fans would maybe prefer a stanley cup over someone who's from quebec you know what i mean and, like yeah and to I, your I think point, the only and thing and to that i point would
0: too like and to your point like if you want to reverse it here dominique duchard quebec quebec born person eventually at some point had to learn english You don't mean to tell me that all, you mean to tell me that all the, Andre Tourigny who's coaching out in Arizona, you don't mean to, I mean, I think he's a Franco-Ontarian. I don't remember exactly where he's from, but you don't mean to tell me that there hasn't been this, the influx of French Canadian talent, whether it's players or manager, whatever, you don't mean to tell me at some point they, they didn't have the opportunity to learn English. Like they they kind of had to accommodate and learn that too. I get English is the dominant language for, for speaking in the national hockey league and for various parts of the world, but if some of those people are willing to make those accommodations, like it'd be interesting. It'd be cool to, to see the other way around as well. You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, And I think like, I have two minds of it, right? Because you don't want to get too stuck down on the French thing, because I think that there's an insinuation in whenever we say like, Oh, let's look at some non-French candidates that like the fact that you're wanting a French speaking person is like the limitation that's holding the team back. And I I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think there's been times where the professional level candidates at the time of when you're like looking for a coach, the prospects have been a little bit thin, but I think you can get around that. And to Rachel's point of like, somebody can come in and learn or like there's 32 jobs, right? How many guys that are at that level would be so against it that they wouldn't be willing to try you know and you'd you'd want maybe if you're going to do that you probably want to hire that coach in the summer or like at the end of a season where like you just say like live with it right now and then over the summer you'll get this intense training program and come into the next training camp and you can understand a little bit of french and answer some questions in french so it kind of depends i think for a gm though it probably matters a lot less because they don't talk to the media as much
0: Here's, here's the last thing I'll say on this. And this is rather ironic considering the, the like what we've been talking about in this conversation. The best candidate out there, and I know he's not a candidate, the best candidate out there to be the GM of the Canadians is a French-speaking guy. Yeah, yeah. in It truly hit They and never should have like, let him go. Dude, dude, the capologist <laughs> man that he is. As far as I'm concerned, he's turned the Tampa Bay Lightning into the best team of the salary cap era with the back-to-back Stanley Cup championships through a pandemic or a panoramic or a pandofla or pangea or whatever you want to call it <laughs> you don't know say like, like if panini Pterodactyl, you name it julian breezeball found a way to make the tampa bay lightning yes he put nikita kucherov at ltir <laughs> he cheated or whatever everyone likes to get all up in arms about that but he it's found so, a way <laughs> oh that's so ridiculous he found so a odd. way to make it work in a salary cap era Do if right i've all i say this all the time if I am Jeff Molson, I fly down to Tampa Bay, I meet with Julia Brisbois, I take out the checkbook, I rip out the check, I put it in front of him, I'm like, write whatever you want, bro. Write whatever <laughs> you want. He should be the guy. He should be it. I don't know what the provisions are in his contract with, with Tampa Bay. I know he re-upped for the next few years. He's getting his money he, and he deserves his bag, but- Julian Brisbaugh, the irony of the conversation that we're having here in terms yeah. of, oh, you know what? Hey, maybe the guy shouldn't necessarily be French speaking. The best possible guy who could be leading this team right now is Julian Brisbaugh, who's a Quebec native.
1: Yeah. And it's I will related. say, not hindsight, when the Canadians hired Mark Bergerman back in 2012, I was hardcore on the Julian Brisbaugh train. A lot you of hard did. work. So you can go back and look at my articles on HabsEyesInThePrize.com and you will find. Andrew Berkshire right was hardcore into you were. Julian I Brisewell remember this. So, and you know, what's
2: crazy is like, it's totally right. And this whole conversation, I've actually been thinking about that. And the best part about this whole thing is we always talk about the hockey men. Julian Breesbaugh is literally a lawyer. Yep, Like he yep. is not by definition, a hockey man. So like you're giving the, I for one am shocked that the best GM in the NHL has a law degree Who? could have seen that coming like (laughs) it's almost
1: like being a manager like
2: tell tampa you're paying them 10 million dollars as like a we're stealing him away fee and then like julian said give him the blank check
1: yeah like it's almost like being a manager matters more than being a hockey player right if you're the head manager of a billion dollar company it matters if you can manage things more than if you played Hockey. Earlier in your career, you can surround yourself with hockey guys. Have all your advisors be hockey guys. That's easy. You know they're they're flowing out of everywhere. But you don't have Did to you have your that? head manager be a former player. And that's something that every other sport has figured out, except for hockey. Did you hear you mean, that? We're not, one but there's t- a lot oh, of sorry. other
2: things we also have to figure out in this yes. silly sport.
1: This is true. Oh, yeah. you, I should oh, say. Sorry, I just uh, want to add this. Okay, go for it. I'll
0: just. Uh, did you hear on that one episode of the CJ show Where CJ said that Once upon a time in Julian Breezeball's contract There was like an out Where if he so chose He could essentially go to the Canadians There was like an out in his contract yes. That pretty much allowed him to go to the Montreal Canadiens If a vacancy came up
1: That should make many fans very upset <laughs>
0: Oh yeah yeah. When I heard that I was like Ooh, There are going to be Canadian fans upset at that
1: Because I doubt he has that where? out now I was like Ooh. I. I think the league provision is, like, in order to be hired to another team while you're under contract, there has to be a promotion involved, right?
2: President of Hockey Operations, call it a Yeah.
1: Game. So, yeah, you have to give him president and GM, which I – is he president and GM of Tampa? I don't no, know. No,
2: he, he's, like, I want to say in Tampa he's GM and, like, something Hockey Operations, but it isn't president. So, you have, like, it's you some can have a team president, but then you can also have a president of Hockey Operations.
1: Right. What, right. you could just you could make up a new position for the Montreal Canadiens like Sultan of kicking ass. I don't care. You can do something and get him out here. You know, like and to, <laughs> to Julian's point earlier on, I'm actually glad that you brought up Matthew Darsh because he is a guy who is like people don't realize how bright Matthew Darsh is. Oh,
2: he's good. And like he
1: is smart. Darsh, like he got a lot of crap when he was in Montreal, and people thought that he was just there because he was like a French journeyman. Like, his underlying numbers in Montreal were fantastic. Really underrated scorer. And he was a guy that didn't do it with a lot of, like, speed to his game or, like, an incredible amount of skill. He was just a really friggin' smart player. He kind of, like... It reminds me of, like, Jeff Halpern late in his career when he was with the Montreal Canadiens. And he was just an incredible, smart hockey player. And coincidentally, when those two were together, I believe the Canadiens had the best fourth line in the league. Like, it was just, like, an absolute killer. So, I am very for looking at uh, Matthew Darsh as well in some capacity whether it's GM if he's ready for that or some other capacity steal him away from Tampa Bay because what what is it with Tampa Bay being better at attracting francophones in Montreal like what's going on uh, there come
0: on I mean they already have snowbirds going there in the winter uh, yeah, are the yeah, snowbirds it, are the snowbirds
2: scouting the queue
0: I, I mean, look, I mean, come on, they were, they've been able to get all these great players from there. I mean, we so behind I mean, the
2: scenes, it, little yeah. secret on Tampa oh. Bay and, and the Q. when I was like in behind the curtain, one of the things that I learned while I was there was there were a couple teams or no, there were more than a few teams that didn't even employ a Q scout because there's like a bias against the QMJHL, which I'm actually currently writing about. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tampa Bay actually has a dedicated scout that only scouts the queue. And then they send both their assistant director of amateur scouting and their director of amateur scouting there more than any other team. And they build relationships with coaches and players. So like Alex Baraboulet had offers from other teams, but he chose Tampa because Tampa had already started speaking to him for a couple of years. And so Tampa really actually has a. Like, it seems like they've identified what's kind of come out in my research and the fact that the queue is actually very good at producing skilled players and they just have this bias against them. And Tampa's identified that as an inefficiency. And so I think when you see that, it's like, okay, well, we're, we're going to get Francophones on the ice. We're going to get Francophones in the front office. And it's because we make a dedicated effort to the market inefficiency that is Quebec.
0: Man, mm-hmm. if you look through the history of the team, you should probably man, be doing that. <laughs> you look through the history yeah. of this organization, whether it's Julian Breesbar or not, but like some of the best players in or just people in that organization have to do with the cue. Vincent Cavalier are one of the best players to come out of the queue. Brad Richards, I know he's not a francophone guy. Played in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League.
2: Marchance uh, Marie seemed pretty good too. Yes. He was uh, pretty he was
0: decent. he was a US college guy. Still a Quebec he's, guy,
2: though. Yeah, he's a Quebec guy. Like
0: Yep. Laval guy. Yep. Uh, ben Rock grew, I think was coaching in the queue before he ended up in Tampa Bay. Now coaching for the Syracuse crunch. Still. Uh, Alex Barry, who if you, if the Canadians found a way to claim him now, a lot of people would be freaking out. They had Yanni Gord for all those years. I believe he's a Q guy as well. Finds himself in Seattle, but he meant they a lot to that know. team when they were
2: there. Yep. Like, it, yeah, it's a, wild to me. Like, and that fixes, we talked right off the top about the Montreal Canadiens needing three centers. You have Philip Deneau. Look what he's done for Kopitar and LA. Kopitar doesn't have to take those Selkie minutes anymore because that's what Deneau is there for. And Kel Sapriz, Copitar is scoring now because he just gets to run rough shot over other centers. And like that's exactly what Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield could be doing if they just kept Philip Deneau.
1: Yeah. And that was yeah. o- so obvious tonight how dominant Kopitar was when he didn't have to worry about being the number one defensive guy. Like he was unbelievable tonight, whether it was just those quick passes, like he was finding seams, creating seams, drawing multiple guys to him to draw penalties. Like, yep, that's one. at his absolute best, right? Like he was just (laughs) incredible. So I think let's talk about like if we can muster a few because I know people want to hear some positive things. Let's try to frame this game a little bit or at least some things that happened in this game in some kind of positive manner for the Canadians, uh, they got absolutely dummied in the final forty. But I think people who saw the LA Kings as a one, I think they were one five and one coming into this game, uh, team thinking they were going to be an easy team to like fight against for the Canadians because they were only two and six. Uh, that's not really the case. Uh, the Kings coming into this game were tenth in expected goals for percentage. Like they've been incredibly unlucky so far this year so the fact that they broke out against the Canadians who are a very weak defensive team not actually that surprising and maybe it's not as big of a death blow to the Canadians as like people might assume with the way that the standings have gone for the LA Kings so there's that it's a very rough thing to take as a positive <laughs> but the fact is like the LA Kings are actually quite good especially at even strength so there's that um, what else did I think was good? I liked, uh, Mike Hoffman on special teams, you know, uh, he has this ability to make things look really easy and calm around him. Uh, I joked in the group chat that we had before the game that I thought he was like their best puck moving defenseman,
2: which,
1: cause he was kind of playing <laughs> on the back point there. Like
2: Mike Hoffman on the PP tonight. And just like generally is so good. Yeah. And then you look at him at even strength and he had thirteen percent expected goals four percentage this year. And I'm like, or this game. That's really but I look weird. at it and and I'm like, you're clearly the best player on the power play. How does this not translate and Mike Hoffman can figure out a way to translate that to five on five. Like it's gonna be fantastic.
1: Yeah, I mean, that also comes down to Suzuki and Gallagher having to carry the bag a little bit defensively, right? Like, you can't expect Mike Hoffman to be the guy who's breaking up plays in the defensive zone or even in the neutral zone. He's got to be the Thomas Tatar on that line. Not that Tatar, I think Tatar's much better defensively than Hoffman, but Hoffman's better offensively. So you kind of have to take that trade off and allow Hoffman to be himself. But I'm just, I'm consistently surprised at how calm... He makes things look when he's handling the puck because it just looks like everybody else is handling the puck like a bomb and he just has no like panic in his game. He almost looks lazy because he's so calm. But he's not lazy. Like he he does the right things in the offensive zone. It's just you gotta get the puck there for him.
2: It's the other hundred and sixty feet yeah. or whatever that's the problem. I thought Sammy Niku was good. I don't know, Julian, what do you think? Like I thought he was by far their best defenseman.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I think he's been that. I, it, what's kind of crazy to me seeing Sammy Niku, uh, not only be as good as he's been, but just with the way these power play units have been, you know, deployed over the last few games. Like we're normally seeing Jeff Petrie being the guy, and he's expected to be the team's best defenseman on this team like people for years have been banging the drum that Jeff Petrie is the best defenseman on this team even while Shea Weber was there and this year now I don't feel a lot of those people are being vindicated in that way it's very telling that pretty much since Sammy Nico has been in the lineup I I don't have the numbers of of the way the power plays time has been deployed between those two defensemen but a lot of times uh, for my money at least whenever the Canadians are starting out on the power play in the offensive zone, Sammy Niku is getting that first shift up. And that first power play they got today, Sammy Niku was first up. And plus he drew, he drew a penalty early on in the game as well. Like I, I think for, for my money, he's proven to be their, their best puck moving defenseman right now, I don't know when that means we'll see Chris Weidman back into the lineup. I'm not sure what's up with Jeff Petrie either. I, I, I don't know if he's hurt still, or, or I don't know if he's, Dealing with something, but I, I don't think he's necessarily been their best PMD to this point. But Sam Niku, I think he's done okay. Another positive. I just want to mention. I thought at least uh, on the Canadians' goal they scored. I thought Christian Dvorak and Josh Anderson showed some good speed, and they were able to make something happen. Josh Anderson at least has goals in back-to-back games, so the, it's not as if the, there are no positives from this game. Just obviously the negatives just outweigh the positives.
1: Yeah. Far outweigh them, unfortunately, which has kind of been the case all season long. And like, at least they were able to score multiple goals, which again is damning with faint praise, but this is the first game that they've lost where they've scored more than one, right? So it was scor- scored at a moment in time when it didn't matter anymore, but got to grasp onto something here. <laughs> hey, ben there's not, there's not a lot to look like. I'm looking ben at my Shura own. scored. Yeah. Ben Chirot scored. And I mean, like his he was first
2: goal of the year. Same spot. That too, might be like the a, only good thing he did the entire game.
1: He was firing yeah. darts all game, though. Like I will give Ben Chirot one thing when he actually tries to do stuff offensively and he drops the shoulder and drives the net. He can kind of create chaos because he's so big. Right. And he actually does skate really well. The problem is, like, oftentimes it's him taking the shot. And it, I just wish it was anybody else taking the shot. No offense to him. He did score and he's got two goals. I think that's like tied for, no, I mean, uh, Matthew Perot has the team lead with three, but tied for second on the team in goals, Ben Trott, which is
0: Doesn't Mike Hoffman good. also have three? Mike Hoffman also has three. Oh yeah, Mike Hoffman also games. has three. You're right. He
2: so three Hoffman and Perot
1: only. are tied. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, Hoffman and Perot are tied with three goals each and Calgary has two seven goal scorers. That is yeah. not good.
1: I saw that the other day. I mean, Alex Ovechkin already has nine is he good? I think he might be.
0: Yeah, he seems to be. Jury's out on that one. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see if he can
1: break Gretzky's record. Then we'll call him good. Yeah, <laughs> he's an oh, absolute man. monster. This guy is
2: ridiculous. He's like thirty-eight years old, and he's just like, sup, I'm gonna score a goal a game.
0: <laughs> Legend. I hope he breaks that record so okay. badly. I want nothing more. Not only just break the record, I want him to be the only dude that has nine hundred goals. Like, yeah, I want him to want be that. Number. Yeah give it give me nine zero zero
2: that
1: would be amazing like especially to do it in this era right
2: he needs the yoger treatment where like no matter what he gets to play till he's 95 years old until he breaks that record because i think like we look at age curves and the things that go are like skating and endurance and durability but the like he's not going to be able to be as physical and he still isn't as physical but what we're seeing is is the guys who can read the play get to keep playing in the NHL and the guys who could shoot the puck, get to keep playing in the NHL and Alex Ovechkin can most certainly shoot the puck.
1: Well, that's, that's like my thing with Ovechkin, right? Is like, he's kind of transitioned into like later years, Brett Hall, right? But Brett Hall was still an effective goal scorer until he was like, what? 39 or something. Like we haven't seen the last of Ovi. He's one year, I guess he's almost two years older than Sid, right? So he's, going to be 37 at the end of this year I would assume Is Crosby's going to turn 35 right. next it, next year yeah man. these guys are getting
0: old yeah this I know is...
1: man that's my draft year Sid's draft year so I'm feeling old already but uh yeah I, I think we've got a lot left uh, for Ovi and like if he's just allowed to be the power play guy later in his career he's still going to be able to score 30 his shot's just so sick and he's not shy about it. And I was worried this year coming into training camp, he got hurt. You know, you start mm-hmm. the season, you're another year older and he never gets hurt. And I was like, Ugh. and then he's like, no, don't worry. <laughs> <Not good. laughs> I got this. I'm going to lead the league in scoring again. My eyes closed. You know, like yeah. he's just, he doesn't care. So I, I love it. I applaud like, him for literally...
2: it. We're 15 years into his career and no team has figured out how to stop him on the power play. It's like, yeah, we know it's coming, but like, yeah,
1: it's just inevitable. You know, you can only hope to contain the Ovechkin spot. Yep. Yeah, it is undeniable. I love that man. The hockey player. He's uh, he's going to break yeah, the, ho- the hockey player. I-, I like the hockey player a lot. Yeah, I mean, I don't know him personally, so I can yeah, only say that. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. I like the hockey
1: player.
2: And I like that he shows personality. Like, we could use that some too. of that in the game instead of yes. this like, milk toast whatever.
1: That commercial with Backstrom <laughs> that they did to start the season for, like, an insurance company, and it's, like, the best bit of PR the NHL's had in years.
0: It's, it's really good. It's one of the best commercials I've seen. You hear the long, like, slurp from, from Nicholas Backstrom. I did not expect him to be the funniest guy in that ad, but well done, Nicholas.
1: Yep, he yeah, you did very well. The only ad the only NHL ad in recent years that I thought was comparable was last year when like Uber Eats uh, rolled out the Patrick Waugh and uh, Mario Tremblay Mario Tremblay yeah. ad and it was like f- they had different uh, setups in both French and English and it was mm. it was just a fantastic. ad. And then that I still folded the, into uh, like, the RDS remember, interview. Like,
2: remember, like I want it might have been like 15 years ago. Maybe like it was definitely more than 10. The, like, all-star game where they got, like, the Sedins and Crosby and, and whatever. And then the end of the commercial is, like, walks in and there's, like, pizza. And he just goes, Ovechkin. Ovechkin. Yeah. Like, what happened to that? Can we have that?
1: Yeah. Or even, like, right. do you remember the NHL ads they used to do that was, like, NHL players are just like us? And it was, like, Joe Thornton trying to butter a piece of toast with cold butter and he ripped it. And he's, like, <laughs> oh!
2: But didn't, like, what was it, like, Dustin Penner, like, pull his back making pancakes or something? Yes. I'm like, just use that. <laughs> <looking at this? laughs>
1: yeah, eating pancakes, he messed oh, up his back. As someone with a, a bad, bad back, man. I empathize. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, there's probably not much more to cover on this show. I've had a lot of fun with you guys. But uh, I think a lot of people are watching uh, the Leafs games, So we'll check out for now. If you want to find Rachel and Julian, you can check the description in the YouTube video or in the podcast, and you can find their Twitter handles. Uh, before I let you guys go, though, uh, first Rachel and then Julian, tell us what you got going on this season.
2: I'm doing the uh, Staff and Graph podcast. Uh, we're going on a bit of a break because we got something fun coming up in the new year. And you can find me on the Daily Face Off podcast once a week as well, talking about analytics and i'm not writing this year because i'm writing a thesis so we're just gonna have to wait till that's done and I- hopefully i can make it public
0: awesome shout out rachel man just doing just doing big things all the time uh I and have julian the... can
1: you within an hour can you fit in all the podcasts that you're on
2: <laughs> literally here's a list and unfurls <laughs> okay I'll, I'll it's like the
1: chris like jericho 30... thing where it's like you're added <laughs> to the list but it just it <laughs> <the list. laughs> unrolls and it's like a scroll 100 feet long yeah
0: all right, I'll, I'll I'll give you guys the condensed <laughs> version just because I like you guys. Uh, Chris Johnston show twice a week on the SDPN network, Mondays and Thursdays. Uh, CJ already sent out a tweet uh, asking you guys for questions. We'll answer them on Monday. New Zone Time episode on Yahoo Sports every Tuesday, every Wednesday, I should say. We record Tuesday it goes out on on Wednesday uh hockey inside out every week as well through the montreal gazette and uh, check out my work with the athletic every friday i have the canadians plus minus column where i basically look at the games over the last few weeks for the canadians over the last few days for the canadians and see uh, who was good who was bad and who was too difficult to call so yeah check out all my work there and uh i hope i was under a minute do you sleep you might have been (laughs) you know what's crazy i did not sleep that much tonight so no
1: (laughs) (laughs) well you know what you're not going to be sleeping much between now and the next time you're on julian because i don't know if you know this rachel but november 13th julian and i are going to do this show after the red wings canadians game and we're going to do the hot ones going live on stream (laughs) why did i agree to do this
2: i'm going to be in new jersey that night so you guys enjoy that and i will (laughs) have drinks on your behalf in either new jersey or new york city we'll see Drink a tall glass of milk for oh, me. Yes.
1: Very tall glass of milk. Maybe a big bowl of yogurt or something. I don't know. S- something
0: like that. I don't know. I don't know why I agreed to do this, but I wouldn't do this for anyone else other than Andrew
1: Berkshire.
2: <laughs> well, good luck with that gentleman. I definitely would never have joined you on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
1: Thanks guys. We'll be back, I guess tomorrow. Uh, it's going to be a later uh, stream tomorrow because I'm going to take my kids out trick or treating after the game. So it'll be around 9 p.m. Eastern that I log on and uh, talk about the Canadians against the Ducks tomorrow. So that'll be fun. Maybe I don't know. We'll figure it out. But, what if? Uh, what
2: if? What if? By tomorrow, while you're trick or treating, the Ducks have Jack Eichel. I mean, <laughs> not he that he'd be Ryan, but like <laughs> you think you think it's
0: the Ducks. It could it could be Vegas.
2: I feel like it might be the Ducks. They seem to be like lying in the weeds, and they have like prospects, current players, picks, and they could just be like, wham! And they're bad this year, so it's not like they need to rush. Eichel. True. I just that was just a fruit for fruit for thought.
1: I yeah, I, I've been pushing the idea that the Canadians need to do it. They've got the assets I, to, I, to I make said it that happen. In the summer, I like it. Get it going. Get it going. All right. Thanks everyone for watching. Thanks everyone for listening on the podcast version, and we'll see you tomorrow.